So thankful not to be in Florida. This is Schmitty, and you're listening to Talkin' Schmidt. Today on the show is Bay Area native Andy Grinelli. Andy has played drums since he was a young lad. His first band was Model Americans. He later was in the Nerve Agents until he hit the big time joining the Distillers. He got evicted from his house because of what he said in a Thrasher interview with Corey Duffel, and most recently has moved back to Santa Cruz and started a side band with Clifford from Blast. Although Andy's a hard-hitting, badass drummer now, it didn't necessarily start out that way. Actually, his first lesson, he put the teacher to sleep. And he's like, okay, go, go at it. So I'm playing it. And it's like a while, you know? And I'm like, just like, keep going. Finally, I like, look, I'm, just, I'm here, you know? And he's just fucking... He's like, oh, by the way, I'm narcoleptic, you know? I want to thank all you who purchased our Chris Pastor shirts, helping raise money for the NAACP. Apparently, the COVID has slowed down the post office to the point that I still have yet to receive them from the printer. Once I do, I'll send them out right away. Thank you for your patience. There are still a few remaining on our website. And now I want to give a shout out to Solstice Skate Shop in New Bedford, Massachusetts. Shout out. Stony J says, thank you guys for keeping the authentic skate shop vibes going so he doesn't have to go to Zoomies. Jay Vasconcellos, here you go, my friend. Shout out. All right. Are you ready to be liberated? This is Andy Grinelli, and you're listening to Talking Schmidt. It's cool, like tonight is the night. Here we go again. Just give it the old cause turn. All big dogs in. Schmitty. 96 times, Schmitty. Thanks, Schmitty. We on? Schmitty. Talking Schmidt. That's probably going to the hospital, bitch. I can <laughs> shit my pants. Your Rolodex is fucking deep. It's about the one, the one, the one. Who is this guy? Thinks he's tough shit. What's up? We're tastemakers. Come on, Smitty, what the fuck? Let's hear it for Greg Smith. Back on Zoom, all up in your YouTube business. This week, I'm jumping into the music world, and I have my drummer friend from down in Santa Cruz, California, the band The Distillers. This is Andy Granelli, kids. What's up? <laughs> What's up? How you living? I'm surviving. I'm doing all right. Can't complain. How are you? Yeah, same. I mean, you can complain, but I try not to. What's your zone like? Is Are people taking it serious? Or I know on the coast, a lot of times I see a bunch of fucking people are flocking to the beach and they're acting like there's nothing going on. But like in your neighborhood, is it is it more serious or do people just not? What's the deal? We live pretty close to, we live in Pleasure Point. And so there's like the beaches are going off and we, we avoid it. You know what I mean? Uh, for, we live off 41st. So you're familiar with Santa Cruz, you know? So sure. there's uh, there's restaurants and stuff on our street and like restaurants are open, coffee shops are open. I mean, uh, a lot of stuff outside. Um, and for the most part, I think most people are good wearing masks and uh, being respectful and things like that. But there's always the, you know, they're always mixed in the token, like numb nut, just uh, no mask, you know, oh, just being disrespectful of the space and other people and stuff. And, um, but Santa Cruz has been interesting because it's been really low 
like in the, uh, the case count, you know, um, there hasn't been many cases, but up until like a couple weeks ago, 4th of July, it's kind of popped off. And so now we went from like 300 cases in Santa Cruz to like suddenly like 850 cases in Santa Cruz in like two weeks, you know? Right. So, um, you can see it kind of pick up, you know, we'll see. Yeah. My daughter's school just got closed. You know, she's supposed to start school at the end of August and that's off, you know, she's four. So, okay. Yeah. I was listening to something on NPR talking about that and they were saying that their study was kind of that the younger kids apparently up till now have a lower percentage of spreading the virus, which is a good thing because they're the hardest to get like high school people can handle zoom and deal with that whole thing on their own. But the younger kids, they need the parenting if they're going to do it from home and that takes extra attention. And it's just like, I think like the overall message I'm getting, I don't have kids, but it seems like parents are really starting to appreciate teachers a lot more. (laughs) Yeah. And rightfully so, you know, I mean, teachers like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, so much of your life, your like young life, you think about like adults in your life. You know, I mean, teachers are always there, and they either send you one way or the other. You know, right? And so many people, like even like my wife, will talk about like you know hating school until there's like that one teacher who made like a difference and like listened to her, helped. You know, mm-hmm. just like kids and like with adults in general, it's like a weird vibe. I feel like you got to trust them. I mean, I can't imagine really being a teacher. Sometimes when I think about like, you know, my, my four, four year old and then thinking like, what if there's like, like 30 of them, you know, and then how do you like navigate that, you know, um, just dealing with like all these kids and stuff and it's wild, you know, kids are a lot. Well, uh, true or false, you were born at the same hospital as I was in Redwood city. (laughs) It's true. It's very true. Redwood City, Kaiser Redwood City. It turns out you and I uh, were just like, like this down the path of life, and uh, until today, do we really connect and chat? You know, right? Face to face, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's insane because uh, Peninsula um, Redwood City we were born, and then later in life. My mom lived on Jefferson Court where you lived and I don't know what you would call it, but in between some uh, living out abroad, I lived back at home with my mom. And so we lived on the same street for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. It's a trip. And That's I remember, crazy. I remember seeing like, maybe you had like a, like a box or something you guys would skate or like, do you have like a quarter pipe or something? Yeah, we had like a little ramp and then I think we had a, a little slider bar or something we'd bring out into the street and play yeah. around. Yeah. 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 I was like, oh, whoa, like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> My mom and I moved there like the last couple of years of high school or so I was probably like a freshman in high school or something during that time. So did you grow up? Where did you grow up? In San- well, there and then uh, my mom and I, we lived on um, on uh, Rollins Road. You know, oh, it's yeah. like Rollins Road to the freeway. Down by, yep. We lived there forever, like fucking forever, 15 years or something like that. And then uh, it was such a shithole. And finally, like, we moved, like, when I started high school to that place on Jefferson. Okay. And then I lived there until high school, and then I moved to the city. 
Yeah. Where did you go to junior high and like grammar school? So my um, my mom, my parents divorced when I was like a baby. My dad split, and um, my mom worked, and we lived in San Mateo. But then my grandparents lived in Burlingame, and thankfully for my mom, my grandparents watched me right like after mm-hmm. school. So I went to school in Burlingame, kind of where they lived. So I went to like uh, Burlingame Intermediate School, and uh, I went to like Lincoln Elementary. So like kind of you know the north side of Burlingame, Millbrae. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. And then how'd you get into playing drums? Um, it, in like elementary school, they had this thing where it was like, uh, you can, when you hit like the fourth grade, you could decide, you could pick like to play an instrument, you know? And we had this like assembly and they're like, you guys could play this or that, you know, like saxophone or tuba or, you know, and then (laughs) it was like drums. And then like, the drum set looked like sick, you know, I always thought like, I was like, Oh, that's cool. Like, you know, it's like something you could like tinker with. It's kind of big. It's kind of like a car It's like loud and you like fucking beat on shit. It just like spoke to me, you know? Okay. Um, but then when you go to learn how to play drums, like at school, they don't get, they don't sit you down at a drum set. They, they give you fucking two sticks and a fucking pad, and they go, you like, right, left, right, left, shit, you know? Yep. And so I was just like, this sucks. Like, where's the drum set? Where's the fucking cymbals, you know? And so then I bailed off that. But then, yeah, and then just, like, got into skateboarding in, like, the sixth grade and, like, uh, skate videos and learning about, like, punk rock. And then just, like, realizing, like, oh, yeah, like, I kind of remember how to do some of that shit Um, and just getting into it through that fucking uh, had a job in like the seventh grade and bought um, my grandpa rented me a, uh, a uh, storage locker uh, off third street in San Mateo down by the Bay. Uh And um, I like bought a drum set off a friend and uh, like, put it in there in the storage locker and like practiced in that. <laughs> I just taught myself, you know, what was your spot? B street music or, uh, no. Well, I would go to B street to, to get stuff. And I actually took one drum lesson there. Oh, uh, did you? Yeah. But the drum teacher was narcoleptic and it was like amazing. He's like, uh, my mom and I went in there. I like to buy drumsticks or something. And he was like, oh, like this kid looks like a drummer. Look at him, you know? Because I was like 6'5 in like fucking eighth grade, you know? Uh, I was like, yeah. He's like, I- I'm a drum teacher. You should come. Like, come check it out. First one's for free or whatever. And I was like, okay. It's my mom, you know? So, like, l- the next week, go down there and downstairs at B Street Music underneath the, the, the building, there's like practice rooms and stuff. And he's like, okay, go go at it. You know, I played this like 4 4 like, like beat you know and so i'm playing it and it's like a while you know and i'm like just like keep going and he's sitting behind me and finally i like look because i'm it's just like i'm I'm here you know and he's just fucking what he's sleeping (laughs) you know and i was like hey hey dude you know he's like oh by the way i'm narcoleptic you know no way (laughs) was my drum lesson what, but is that where you would get like your drumsticks and like equipment when you're younger 
Yeah, totally. Did you ever go up to Gelb? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because Gelb every year had that sale. They, they would have like, you know, like a blowout. You like wait yeah. in line. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was right across yeah. from the high school I went to. So I was really familiar with Gelb. Okay, so that's Sequoia, right? Yeah. Sequoia High? Yeah, right on El Camino. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. You were skating as a kid. Were you reading Thrasher at all? That's how I found out about everything. Everything in like life, really. No way. Yeah. Okay. Fuck yeah. Music, like how to be, like how to be a person, just being a skateboarder, um, just like everything, you know? Because uh, I kind of grew up, because I, I had to, my grandparents were old, you know, and they were like watching me. So like, in elementary school, like I can never like go out or like have friends over, you know, because my grandparents they didn't want to deal with it, you know. So it's kind of like I was kind of like pretty lonely. And then uh, like in junior high, I was just kind of like this nine ball like kid, and I didn't have like a lot of friends then. But when I found like skateboarding and Thrasher especially and like skate videos, and it was like art and music and skating, and it was all fun and cool, and like it was like other kids like I felt like me you know and then the kids that I met through skating all had like you know divorced parents or like they all had like some shit in their lives too that that we all like related to you know and it just became like this thing it was just it was like perfect for me you know? do you remember like some of the early influences that kind of were like larger than life where you were just like oh yeah this is the shit you know like whether it be a band or a skater or any of that stuff where it was like early like your first vinyl or whatever yeah like i remember well like mark gonzalez when i was a kid was shit and then in skate for like music stuff um i found i also found out about gilman street pretty early on Right. So like a lot of bands around Gilman Street, I was always really impressed by. And, you know, I would like, to, you know, take the fucking train up there or take the bus, take BART to Gilman like on a weekend, you know, and like go to shows and um, really got into that scene and like those bands. And so like 15 and Crimp Shrine, bands like that. And then uh, like Jawbreaker and Rancid and like Green Day, you know, whatever, like all the bands that that scene, like Lookout Records bands. Um, AFI, right? AFI, yeah. And then uh, just like then later on, like meeting and becoming friends with those guys and just all having like the same kind of story too, you know, same kind of shit. I always like Mark Gonzalez too because uh, I always liked his art, you know. I always yeah. saw his badass that like, draws on like his own art on his boards and stuff. And Totally, um, with I the paint pens. Yeah, Totally. And then being like in like the seventh grade and taking the bus to like EMB and then like seeing that gap, like the Gons gap, you know, and just being like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. know. We're so fortunate to have all that stuff. Like, right? I mean, the Bay Area is just huge for music, skateboarding, like a lot of things. Like no bands miss in San Francisco when they go on tour. And so many skaters flock here also to like – get photos it's such a photogenic city and just such an iconic place and growing up and living here my whole life i, I think you as well it's like man we're blessed <laughs> yeah totally you could you could kind of be born anywhere you know and but fucking here we are there's lots of people from our area that 
um, have done cool shit, you know, and, and I don't know, I think it speaks to this, to the space too. California is like a pretty inspiring place, you know, and the Bay area, especially. Totally. So when did you kind of get a little more serious about like, this is more than a hobby. What did you, um, when was your first band or like you started playing drums with other people? Uh, like my first year in high school, I started meeting other kids that wanted to play music, but I was trying to find something where I could go play at Gilman street. Like that was my goal. You huh. know? And having gone to shows there, like in junior high and, and shit, I was like, fuck, like, you know, if these guys could do it, I could do it, you know? And, um, then I met, uh, Tim Presley, in high school, like my freshman year of high school, he went to Aragon. He went to a different high school. Okay. But we kind of met through this girl uh, named Christine. And um, she introduced me to Tim and Ken. And Ken was the guitar player for, for our band in high school called Model American. And that band, we, um, we just got together and played. And Ken was like a really good guitar player at, in high school, you know? good for us but like back then we we're like wow you know and uh he had like he was one of those guys also like very vision had like driven had like a vision of the band he had the band name he had songs and stuff and and he was good he could pull it off you know and so um i got with those guys and then uh it came together pretty quick and then we just started playing kind of wherever like teen centers and stuff and uh I remember that like Palo Alto had a place called like the house and uh, you could go and play there for free. Uh, it was like a teen center and uh, you, some, one of us like met the people who ran it and uh, between them and like some guys in Redwood city, cause there was guys from Redwood city in our band too. And I kind of forget how we all met the Redwood city guys, but Dante and Josh, Josh Stinson, and this guy, Colin, uh, Colin Page, that was a long time ago, <laughs> but like, it was like doing the teen center fucking circuit and then, uh, Bob's donuts. Right. Did you guys play the, um, Pony Express ever? There was a uh, pizza place that used to have punk shows, um, when I was in high school, which might've been a lower, was probably for sure earlier, but, uh, I don't know how long it went. Uh, no, but I think we played pizza and pipes. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's I want to say we did we did Pony Express, but we played pizza and pipes. Okay, but uh, we recorded a demo at B Street Music. They had this deal; it was like a hundred bucks, and you could do a demo. The guy who did it was this guy named George. Re I think his name was George Revis. He was the sound guy for Los Bukis, who are like a really popular, like banda, like band. You know? Oh, sick! Yeah, and it was like at the time we were kind of like. He had like the satin, like low spookies jacket on. He had like this like feathered do and was this like totally 80s, like record producer, sound guy. He was just railing coke the whole time. <laughs> and we were like, why is he, you know, me and Tim and Ken were like, why is he going in the bathroom so much, you know? And this is fucking weird, you know? And he'd like come out and he'd be like, ah, okay, you know, get you set up and shit. And uh, just like real like frantic energy and just this like crazy guy. Anyways, we did like this demo and he starts getting into mixing and it's, you know, it's like a 12 hour thing. And uh, I think the Coke ran out because he stopped going <laughs> to the bathroom. He got like super agitated and was like, all right, this is it. Like you guys are done. 
fucking bumped that shit to a CD and then like gave it to us and then kicked us out. And that was that. Um, but it was, uh, it was worth it. It was hundred bucks. And then that CD or tape or whatever that got us uh, Gilman shows. So we were able to send a demo to Gilman street and take it. And that was your high school band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No way. Yeah. Super fun. A couple of those guys went with you to nerve agents or. Yeah. Tim. Just Tim. Yeah. So then we started playing um, Gilman street and Berkeley square and doing lots of shows around the Bay area um, and played with other like hardcore and like punk rock bands and doing so met Eric, the singer of the nerve agents. He had a band before the nerve agents called redemption 87 and uh, became friends with him and always liked him and, you know, kind of looked up to him. He was older than us and thought his band was the shit, you know, we're like, Oh, you know, try to get a band with that guy. Like, it would be cool. Just like daydreaming. Like, Oh, it'd be cool. If, like that was the singer of our band, you know? Uh-huh. And then I just, I kind of bugged him uh, enough that he, he agreed, you know, and uh, started the nerve agents with him and his roommate at the time, this guy, Kevin, a couple other guys, but not Tim and uh, had our first couple practices. And um, I was like, we should get another guitar player. Cause Kevin was the only guitar player at the time. Okay. And Tim, was he Tim was my best friend and just someone who I always loved loved his art and um, loved being with him and being around him and I wanted him there you know yeah and, uh, so it just happened you know and Tim became the dude you know and Dante the, the nerve agent's bass player is from Redwood City too oh is he yeah fuck that's rad there's such a crazy small world like I keep meeting people that's like how did we never, I don't know, but it's cool. You, uh, know, you guys fun. played Skater of the Year though, right? Oh yeah, we played Skater of the Year at, Phil, at the Fillmore. Yeah, that, uh, I think that might've been the only Skater of the Year party we had at Fillmore. Oh yeah, it was kind of a shit show. Tim threw, I know he threw like a mic stand into the crowd and it like clobbered some poor girl on the shit. <laughs> it was just mayhem. <laughs> there, yeah, they, they always have like the, the first hour used to be a uh, open bar. So it would just get like so nuts right out of the gates. And then like, of course there's fights or just something crazy would happen. And we were just like checking off each place. Eventually we, there was nowhere we could have the party anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. What was the, um, where did the name nerve agents? How did you guys settle on that? Do you remember? Eric had all that stuff baked. You know, he had this idea for the band and he had all that shit already figured out. So Eric was in the military. He was a Marine, you know, and he just would read all these stories about um, chemical warfare and shit like that. And Uh so he got this like concept for like this chemical warfare fucking thing. Uh, and that was like the vibe, you know, nerve agents and uh, right, kind of fitting today, you know. Fucking yeah, I was gonna say it was kind of like ahead of its time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Is that where you got the nickname uh, Andy Outbreak? Uh, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it was, you know, just coming up with uh, your punk name, you know. So, right. Did you guys were you guys playing when was the farm still around or no? No, we missed the farm because I think the farm closed. 
and like the er, the the farm closed like the early nineties. Eric is ten years older than me, uh. and his band, you know, in the like late eighties, early nineties, played the farm all the time. He'd talk about it all the time. Dude, we used to take the bus. Seven B would take you right up there, drop you off every Friday. And I always say this, and I'm I think it's true from my memory. Verbal abuse and DRI played every Friday there unless they were on tour. And then there was like four or five other bands. So I saw verbal abuse and DRI so many times. And I was like, at the time it just seemed like, oh, whatever. And then I look back, I'm like, dude, another blessing. Like seeing ver like I saw verbal abuse with whatever, two different singers, DRI, like it was just insane. And like that was like a huge part of me growing up was uh the san francisco punk rock influence and stuff and like rkl and uh i forget who else was kind of like there a lot but um you know you would see these bands come through but they would play with the staples and you start kind of getting a little like bay area pride or local pride in your dudes of course you were open to everything else but it was kind of this feeling of like we got a rad thing going you know yeah yeah, it's so. cool. I, I know I'm uh, I'm in a band right now with Clifford from Blast. Oh yeah. Uh, so he's got like tons of stories just about playing with DRI, like COC, like Fender's Ballroom shit down yeah. in LA, playing the farm and right um, on in San Francisco and stuff like that. And uh, our bandmate Danny like worked at the Stone, so you know. Oh. But you know, for me, like all that stuff was gone. By the time right. I showed up, you know, in like 96, 95, okay. 94, like a lot of that shit was closed. And so when we were like in high school and trying to do Model American, like there was kind of like nowhere to play because those clubs that were left were like big. It was like, um, like the Cocodry was around and that right. was attainable for us. But then other than that, it was like the Boomerang on Hate Street, just like bullshit, you know? Yeah. Um, but the clubs that for me, like to grow up and like see these other bands and like have this sense of community was always Gilman street, you know? Mm -hmm. And so San Francisco was like the 21 and up crowd for me. Right. You know? And then Gilman street or like Berkeley, like those shows, house parties and stuff, coin court, you know, those were like, like kind of more. Oh, attainable, right. Know? Yeah. No, there, I think San Jose kind of started being more of a hub a little bit later after a lot of that stuff went down. Yeah, what was it? Uh, Electric Avenue? Wait, what was the club in San Jose? To be honest, like I don't really remember a lot of the the names and stuff because uh, it was kind of my hardest partying days, and like I was just getting in cars and like ah, and like yeah. and so it was kind of just like we had a band. I don't know if you ever heard of them. There was this band, Discontent. They were from Redwood City, and I went to school with those guys. So. I ended up being like roadie or bro, whatever, hang out. And, you know, they opened up for like all the best. Like it was insane. Like we're opening for seven seconds. We're opening up for bad brains, like whatever. And you're like, no way. This is not real. It was just crazy. We had the varsity in Palo Alto, which was all ages. But yeah. then uh, I think it was um, suicidal tendencies. Maybe there was some crazy stage dive off a speaker or something and the crowd split apart and the dude broke his head open and that was the last show ever. So, it's always something, you know? but I saw my first, my first show was at the varsity in Palo Alto for sure. Yeah. 
that was where we kind of got comfortable and then we're like let's go to the city where the big guys are you know it's like so how did the nerve agents to distillers happen nerve agents break up or did you try to do both or i tried to do both because uh by that time you know high school was over and everybody went to college and uh i tried college but i can't i just had always had this this fucking desire to play like i just wanted to play drums it's all mm -hmm all I cared about, you know, and college for me was tough to just sit there and like, listen to shit I didn't care about, you know? Um, so, you know, nerve just started touring. <clears throat> the more we started touring, the more I started realizing like, this is where it's at. You know, you get to travel, you get to play every day and you get paid and it's fucking awesome. You know? And I, once we did our first tour, I was like hooked on touring and wanted to just do that. But then, you know, touring was only happening in the summer, you know, and because it was like everyone had schedules and, you know, Eric had to work and Tim was in school and some of the Dante was working. It's like this thing. And Brody and I had met because distillers and nerve agents um, actually played together a lot. So when she she first started the distillers, she had a different band, you know, it was Kim and Matt, these other two and Rose and um, Kim and Matt were a lot older than Brody. Kim and Matt were, were like Eric's age, 10 years older. And yeah. like Matt Young was in the ads and Channel 3, he was like this old head. And Kim Chi worked at Epitaph. She was this older woman. And I think they had a lot of clashes, you know, and uh, it was harder for them, I think, to reconcile the age gap thing. And it just didn't work out. And so she broke the band up and was like, fuck this, I'm done. But she had booked like the opening slot for that winter in December. It was this December of uh, 99 and it was like going to be distillers AFI and Rancid. And it was going to be like the best, biggest tour of the year, but she had no band and her and I were friends. So we're talking about it on the phone one night, you know, and I was like, I'll do it. I already knew, I already knew the songs. I knew the record, you know, and, she like went back and thought about it and was like, okay, let's do this. And then I, I enlisted Dante, the nerve agent's bass player, and he did it with us. Kind of the rest is history, you know? So we did that tour. It was, you know, six week tour and came home and she was like, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever. Like, let's, let's make this work out. You know, she had like a whole record written and ready to go. So tried to make it work. Um, doing both but it just it just didn't work out you know what i mean so uh, who was the original on the first record matt matt and kim matt and kim kim yeah. was a bassist kim's a bass player yeah her name's uh yeah kim chi and okay. then young was the drummer and he played uh like i say he was in channel three and he was in the ads and shit like that oh and, okay but then the other two records i'm on and this new record we just wrote, recorded too. So, is that one? That one is it about to drop? Uh, Brody's finishing. She should have finished it last night. Actually, I think she had like a couple of small things to do, and so hopefully, I don't know. I don't know when we'll see it. Maybe in three months, October, November. Uh huh. Um, we'll see. <laughs> How many new songs? Uh, Eleven. Whoa, so Eleven cool. new songs and uh, for Rise Records, and uh, so it's pretty rad. Like you know, it was really cool to get 
get back in there and and do that whole thing with Brody again and record that record. Yeah, when was the last time you guys recorded before this? A while ago, right? Yeah, 2004. 2000. Yeah. Wow. So what's the the discography? There's Coral Fang. What's the first one called? Just the Distillers? Self-titled. Yep. And then there's Sing Sing Death House came after that, that I'm on. Uh-huh. Then, uh, Coral Fang, and now this new record that's going to be coming out. And do you feel like it's a similar style, or have you kind of embarked in some new areas, or what? Yeah, there's some. It, I would say it's it's like the next logical step for the band. You know, listening to Coral Fang, and then this this record. Um, it's still Brody. You know, it's her. She's uh, real, really good at the melody thing. You know, and. Um, just uh it's you know it's rock it's guitar driven you know it's pretty badass i like it you know do you think that um the older brody gets does she tend to wanna go away from that because that's what drew me to you guys and i noticed like when she did her solo and stuff she was a little more melodic and stuff. Does she kind of not want to do that or does she just pick and choose or how's that work? No, I think she lets it rip, you know, huh. on this record, she lets it rip for sure. And, oh, rad. Um, I know she loves aggressive, loud music, you know, but the thing I always liked about Brody is she was really good at marrying like that aggression with like melody and uh, like her voice is really unique uh-huh. You know, and she's just badass, you know, and just being Fuck. able to marry those that aggression with good melody is something she's always been able to do. Are you ready to be liberated on this record is like that. I think her solo record and um, that Spinnerette record she did, I, I feel like that was her exploring, just exploring what she could do, you know? Sure. Working with other musicians, uh, you know, and just, just kind of taking a different, looking at things with a different perspective. Mm, okay. You mentioned Rose. I don't, I don't know much about Rose. Rose was in the distillers with Kim and Matt. And she was a lot younger. She's younger than me, maybe three or four years younger than me. Brody and I are the same age. So Rose was a little bit younger. Rose's dad was in Sponge. Do you know? remember Sponge? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So Rose's dad was just like a head. He like knew people. And um, Rose got introduced to Brody, and Rose was a guitar player, and she rips a guitar. But, you know, Rose is fucking crazy. 
She was oh. like the craziest person that I think I had ever encountered at, up until that time. You know, just like fucking all energy, just insane. Um, if I like to party, you know, and the drugs thing kind of got in the way, you know, uh, over the years, you know, we, we did Rose was in the band. She did Sing Sing Death House. And in between Sing Sing Death House and Coral Fang um, and touring, because during Sing Sing Death House, we toured a lot. We toured probably 10 months that year. Wow. Um, and basically, since that December 99, we toured to 2002 consistently, nonstop. And then um, 2003, we took a little bit of a break to do Coral Fang. But I think in those years, um, and you're, you're touring with someone all the time and you're just, it's hard to deal with someone who's on drugs and just fucking with crazy fucking energy. Right. So, I know people like that in my life too. Yeah, right? <laughs> but Rose is super talented. She's a good person, you know? Um, but it just, we couldn't do the band with her anymore. It, it had to end. Okay. If we wanted to keep going, if we wanted to stay sane, like we had to part ways with Russ. Right. Can you give me one second? Yeah. Take a quick piss break? Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> this is a public service announcement. And this is the public service announcement is uh, go back in time. Go watch an old skate video from when your past when you were young maybe even younger before your time go do some history maybe learn a, a new trick from the old school why not public service about announcement i love you guys stay up talking schmidt beanies we just got restocked get yours today let's get a word from our sponsor it's don wapo kids with that new signature andy roy sauce Aldon Guapo, aquí en el mero mero rancho Escalante. Mira, mira nomás, puro rancho orgánico aquí. ¡Woo! Chile, tomate, cebolla. Todos los animalitos son mis amigos. Usted también le va a gustar Don Guapo. Arriba, pariente. Mateo, ¿te gusta la salsa? What about our friend over at Blue Plate? Hey, it's Corey at Blue Plate, 3218 Mission Street. Come see us. Meatloaf, fried chicken, deviled eggs, Dollar Olympia beers. We're here every day of the week. We got a garden and we got smiles on our faces. Come let us make you happy. Little background. So I work at Thrasher, obviously, and uh, it was early days. I was It was me and Mofo. We were in a in an office where there was a door and you could close the door. So there was no windows and it was just dark in there. Cause he liked to have the lights off and he would burn sage and he would play this song every day, at least once, probably multiple times. And it was Oh Serena. And it was so in my fucking head because it's just, oh, sorry, you know, over and over. And I'm like, who is this fucking band? And that's how I, I 
uh, got into you guys. So personal question is, is there a story? Is there a person named Serena? Is that a fictitious person or like, who is that? Yeah, uh, I want to say, and I might be mixing up my references with Brody, but I think I'm pretty sure Serena is someone that Brody met when she first moved to L.A. Okay. And um, that person was the typical L.A. shithead. Um, didn't give her any time of day. and Just like not a nice person. And, oh, okay. Uh, and so I'm pretty sure that is who. Now, it's either that, because I, like I said, I kind of forget, or or it's her friend from Australia. Oh, okay. That's one of the two. When you guys, when you first joined the band, was Brody living in Northern California? No, Brody lived in LA. Brody was married with, to Tim. With Tim. Oh, and Tim lives in LA? Tim was living in LA. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they they lived in LA kind of always. You know, oh, okay. So she's always been there. Is, were you were you a part of the band when they started Hellcat? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nerve Agents were on Hellcat. Oh, really? Yeah. So Nerve Agents did uh, two records with Revelation, and you know we had a two record deal with Rev, and then um, we played the Fillmore. It might have been the Skater of the Year party. I don't remember. It was at the Fillmore, and like Tim came to the show and was like with Lars and from Rancid, and they were like, "We want you to be on Hellcat." You know, do you wanna? You know, we're like, "Yeah, fuck, let's do it." So the last Nerve Agents record came out on Hellcat, and so it was like Hellcat Distillers. It was like this kind of big happy family vibe for a minute there. Wasn't there kind of an offshoot band that was Rancid? And Brody had a song with them on it, or was that a was that Rancid? Transplants. Transplants. Yeah. Okay. That's what it was. I saw the transplants at Slim's, and she came out and played a song. Yeah. And and that was like, wait, this is the girl that's in that band, the Mofo. And then it was just like I started eating it up. Yeah. 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 Because we did that whole tour with Transplants. Okay, right. And it was Distillers, Transplants. Transplants was Tim and Travis Barker and this guy named Rob, Rob Aston. <laughs> that was a fun tour. Was that hard for you guys? Like, were you guys all friends? And then when they got divorced, did that kind of put you in weird position? And- yeah, totally. It was, yeah. That was hectic because it was a big, happy family. And I had two bands on, his, on Tim's label. Right. Um, and... You know, a lot of our friends, a whole group of people that I had been fucking since like junior high school, like looked up to, been friends with, Gilman Street, the whole thing, all like turned their backs on us. And everybody dissed us. Everybody fucking gave us the cold shoulder, you know? But it was like, it was like I was expected to quit the band. Uh. I felt... You know, like pick a side, pick a side. In my opinion at the time it, and now even today, you know, it's her personal life. What Brody wants to do with her personal life and who she loves is is separate from the band. You know, uh-huh. it's not they're not related, you know, and I as a musician, as an artist and my desire to play and to do music 
was greater than than these people's hate on me for not following along or like dissing my friend who it should be noted like Brody was has always been super loyal and a great friend to me and so when she came to me and said Tim and I are getting a divorce I have to leave him I fucking believed her you know what I mean so I mean and it's her like I say dude it was her choice um and I stood by her you know but yeah, yeah we caught a lot of shit for that yeah I can imagine um also, I wanted to ask you how being in Tony Hawk's video game, did that impact you guys popularity-wise? Yeah. Did you see the Tony Hawk bump or like what? Fuck yeah. Yeah, it was huge. Really? Yeah, totally. Yeah, because... Um, what was it? It was a City of Angels, right? City of Angels, yeah. And I played the shit out of that video game too. So, you know, and it like, come on. It was, I thought it was rad. But yeah, it really helped the band a lot, for sure. Out of all the... um you know touring and stuff has there been like a pinnacle moment where you were like either at the biggest crowd ever or you were opening for i don't know guns and roses or whoever like has there been like a few moments that you're like man this will it'll never get better than this i think the last to be honest coming back and doing it again and then going to play reading and leaves and doing like a main stage slot uh-huh uh, in front of fucking 90,000 people after, wow. after 14 years being away. Yeah. To me, that was amazing. And Where now, was that? Uh, in the UK. In England, yeah. Last year, yeah. The Reading and Leeds Festival. Are you nervous or you do it so much that it's like, like, how do you feel? Like, does it change when you go from the Fillmore to 90,000? Kind of no, because you really see it just kind of, blends in a little bit uh-huh. when I was younger and we were doing those shows, I would get super nervous. Uh-huh. But I was, I would like get fucking wasted too, you know? Right. And I feel like that kind of played into it. I yep. feel like, you know, getting wasted, like, um, and it took me a long time to like realize these things, but it kind of plays into your, um, fear, you know? And so when we did Reading and Leeds this last time, and being like straight and I wasn't afraid at all, you know, and I was actually remembering and thinking like, I remember doing this in 2005. I remember doing Reading and Leeds in 2005 and being shit in my pants. <laughs> yeah. You know? Wow. But then it's like, but did you guys headline? Uh, we were like fourth from the headliner. Who was headlining? Like, middle of the day. It was with Foo Fighters. Oh, Frank Carter. Um, uh, that kid, uh, Youngblood. Uh-huh. Uh, and us. Damn, that's thick. Is there any bands that you haven't played with that you would, you know, give your right uh, drumstick for? Um, I don't know. No, because we've. I, I'm. I'm. I feel very fortunate in the career that I've been able to have up to now. Mm-hmm. Just being able to do what I've done has been really special. You know, it's been really cool and. You know, we played with the Pixies when they came back. And that was like a huge thing for us. Right. Um, doing touring with like, uh, you know, being in like junior high school and like kind of learning about music and like being into like super into like uh, uh, MoFo, Uplift Party Plan, and like Red Hot Chili Peppers and stuff. Oh. And then playing with them um, and like touring with them and like hanging with Flea and Anthony and having them come to our show and like, Damn. you know experiencing those kinds of things is like uh it's pretty it's all pretty special stuff 
you know. So really at this cool. point now, it's it's kind of I don't know. I feel happy. Have you had any fan out situations where you kind of just lost yourself and was like, "I'm here with Flea" or whatever? I was well. I was really nervous. We just played with the Misfits. We did like six shows with the Misfits recently. With Danzig. Yeah. Oh, sick. And um, being like, you know, hearing everybody kind of be like, oh, Danzig, dude, he's a dick. Yeah. You know, fucking watch out, you know. Um, just hearing all the stories about him. But I love Danzig. I've always loved Danzig and the Misfits. And uh, and I saw him, like, after the L.A. show. And I was like, I got to say something, you know. And I was super nervous, you know. Like, hat in hand, kind of like, you know, Mr. Danzig, you know. <laughs> Yeah. I'm um, just like, thanks. Like said, thanks for having us or something like that, you know, but he was like super cool and super nice. And how did those shows go? Do those guys get along or are they just doing it for the money or what? Well, that's a trip. So, okay. This is what I heard. There was a lawsuit where Danzig has been trying to sue Jerry only for the crimson ghosts. I think like since the eighties and just, it's been like this like long fucking court battle. And I guess what was going to happen was it was finally coming to a head a couple of years ago. And the judge, it became apparent that Danzig was going to lose. And Jerry only goes, Hey, Glenn, you know, drop the lawsuit. I'll cut you in. Uh, if you do 20 shows with me. And so Danzig, because I think the deal with like Danzig was about to lose like the little bit he did have because it was proven that Jerry only like actually invented the Crimson Ghost logo and it was going to be all him, you know? Uh-huh. But Jerry only, he just wants to rock. You know, he doesn't give a shit about the Crimson Ghost. He wants to play, yeah. which is amazing, right? Man. So, you know, he says, Glenn, drop the case, do these shows, you'll make more fucking money and you'll have a good time, you know? And that's what they did. And... I mean, did they have separate dressing rooms? Yeah. They all had their own dressing rooms, you know, and you're playing like these big venues. So there's like lots of space and stuff. They all had like their own buses and shit, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, they probably I think got Glenn, and from what I hear, like he's kind of a hard ass for certain things, but when I'm told about some of the stories about Glenn being a hard ass, usually it's with the caveat of like, well, you know, he's right. But I think it's his delivery. I think rubs the people the wrong way. Yeah, Yeah, it's funny because my story with Danzig is uh, Jake um, was interviewing him for the mag and the publicist said, hey, listen, Glenn does not want to talk about the Misfits. This was before the reunion. And he's like, he will not talk about the Misfits. So ask him anything you want, but don't talk about the Misfits. So Jake gets on the phone, calls them, whatever they're talking. The first question is like, so what's up with the Misfits? And he hung up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. So, it was funny. Perfect response uh, from both those two people, too. Dude, he came into the office. I remember he's like, fucking Danzig just hung up on me. <laughs> <laughs> and they told me the story. I was like, well, yeah, <laughs> kind of expect that, right? <laughs> Fuck, it's so funny. That's hilarious. Uh, have you guys had any horror stories? Has there been any, like, uh, bus crashes or, like, uh, fans jumping? I don't know. Anything crazy that you could report? yeah. Luckily, we're cool on the bus crash thing, you know, because there, I mean, there's dudes that I know that gotten in lots of crashes. Yeah. You know, and there's been like fights here and there and just 
a lot of it happened when we were younger and it all it always has something to do with alcohol. You know what I mean? Right. Back in the day and shit. Um, but now the best story, and it's one I tell, I've told before we were on tour at the Bronx. We were on a bus and they were on a van. So we're usually the way that works is like buses go from city to city. They drive overnight and you get to the venue the next day. And usually in a, when you're in a van, like you kind of drive halfway, you stop, you stay somewhere and then you wake up early and then finish the drive. Mm. So that was what was going on. We're on the bus and we're driving and I get a call from Matt, the Bronx, the singer from the Bronx, right? And he's like, Hey dude, we're not going to make it to the show. Like I was like, what happened? You know, he's like, well, you won't believe it, but, and he tells me this story and this is, this is what happened. So they parked, they stay at this guy's house. They're in Detroit and the guy lives across the street from a church and the church has a parking lot and the parking lot kind of has this big grassy kind of hill that goes up from the street up to this parking lot up above, right? And it's on a corner, an intersection. And it's prom. It's also prom. It's like Saturday night. <laughs> okay. And what happened was this kid, fresh out of prom, hammered, is doing like 90 down this big ass like Detroit street with nothing on it and fucks up and goes up this embankment, flies his fucking dad's <laughs> Escalade through the air where it fucking rotates upside down and lands like that on top of their fucking tour van. No way. It just the totals the whole thing. And their bass player, James, was in the van. He was going to sleep in the van because there wasn't room in the house. And he was sitting in the back. James luckily was okay because the way the guy landed was like on the front of the van. And James was like in the way back. And James was like, I just saw these headlights like come up and like twist in the air and just this like fucking loud smash and crashes. So at this point, Matt's telling me the story and I'm on the phone and I'm like, no way. I was like, we'll come get you, you know, partly because I wanted to see it too. So we tell the bus driver and we were like 45 minutes outside of town. We come back around and we pick them up and sure enough, there is their van fucking totaled with an Escalade upside down on the roof and fucking just mayhem, you know? Damn. And the kid who did it, you know, jumped out and was okay and, like, booked it. They ended up finding him. The cops found him passed out in some bushes out front of the 7-Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they arrested him. Oh, <laughs> shit. So, that happened. Huh. Um, what do you think? What's uh, one of your favorite cities to hit up when you guys tour through U.S.? I had a lot of fun last time we were in Chicago. I love Chicago. Yeah. Chicago's a weird one because a lot of times you go in and out because you got to go in and it's kind of expensive. And so you end up staying like because you're on your way to somewhere in Indiana or like. Yeah. So you're out of town. Uh But we were in Chicago for two days um, the last time. And um, yeah, it was cool, man. Just went to the art museum, like the modern art museum and went to uh, Chip Bayless's. restaurant uh frontera that oh, was super cool. good walked around and like did the whole thing you know huh what's a what's a typical day off for the band do you guys all hang or do you guys get like some space or like what yeah i like recently now that we've been doing it again we we all will get together and 
I like going to art museums a lot. That's kind of uh -huh. my thing. And uh, so I'm always trying to get those guys to go to art museum. But usually, yeah, like art, go to a museum, go shopping, or cruise around. Brody loves a good laundromat, so oftentimes we'll hit up a laundromat. <laughs> to, do, to do laundry or just to hang out? Do laundry, shoot the shit, you know? Yeah. Uh, huh. Interesting. Do you know, has she, I'm sure she's had stalkers, right? Has she ever had some like crazy fans that are just like overboard? Uh, yeah. I, I think that over the years they've had their share of like weirdos and stuff that, um, but nothing like really terminal, you know, nothing that's been, uh, too like unmanageable, you know? Yeah. You know, a lot of internet stalking. Oh yeah, yeah that's comments and shit like that. Easy, easy pickings. Yeah. Are you able to talk a little bit about like your hiatus and then what brought everybody back together? Yeah, I mean, you know, with the band, with with everything around Brody's divorce from Tim, and then getting together with Josh and Coral Fan coming out. Tim's very sober. He's like an AA, and you know, yeah kind of expected from all of us to really be sober when we were doing like Sing Sing Death House and stuff. And, um, you know, I always drank beer and partied and stuff on the weekends, um, but I could kind of take it or leave it back then, you know? So when I joined the Distillers originally, it was expected of me to be sober. And I was fine with that, I didn't care, you know? I just wanted to play. But uh -huh. then as touring went on and you kind of meet people and, you know, it became more like, of a thing, you know, like, fuck, like sometimes I want to have a beer, you know, but I kind of was made to feel like I couldn't, you know, uh, okay. it was like my own thing. Anyways. So when, um, Brody and Tim split up and she started, uh, she got together with Josh, there was suddenly like no restrictions and there wasn't this feeling, you know, like Josh and his friends are very welcoming and accommodating and, um, you know, there's never like a feeling of like, you can't do anything you want to do, you know, mm -hmm. just be yourself. Right. And so a little bit like the faucet kind of got cracked open a little bit. And then uh -huh. eventually the fucking spigot broke and it was just like drinking from the fire hose with all that shit. You know what I mean? So partying kind of just partying and being on tour and being away from home, uh, you know, and from 1999 to 2005, we were on tour. Like right. six years, just straight, you know? And um, I think the just fatigue from being out and from partying too much just kind of caught up with everybody. And um, Brody wanted a break. So Coral Fang, the, the, the touring cycle was over and it was time to record a new record in Warner Brothers' mind, our label at the time. Warner Brothers wanted us to record a record. And, you know, I was pretty, like, focused on just playing because it's been like my only fucking thing in life. Right. I just want to play. I'm going right. to shoot about anything else. Okay. And, you know, and Brody was like, I want to break. I can't, you know, cause she wanted to, in her mind, I think she was looking at her life too. She, right. wanted, she wanted to have kids. Uh -huh. you know, and, um, Queens of the stone age were getting bigger and bigger. And I think she just needed to, wanted a break, you know? Um, but I kept pushing it and, Brody and I just butted heads again on that. And um, Tim from the Nerve Agents, Tim Presley, my my friend, uh -huh. had started a band. It was actually a band that he and I had started like on the side called Darker My Love. And 
it was like a fun thing, but it became more serious, that band. And um, I was, at the time, just wanting to play and went to Brody and was like, I want to be in Darker My Love. And somehow, and it, it between, I think, us just not communicating well, and I think my, maybe the way I brought it to her, it made it sound like I was quitting. And I think we both got mad at each other, Brody and I, and oh. it was this kind of like, well, you know, then fuck it, I'm quitting. It became mm. like this thing, you know? And um, it was really unfortunate. I think it didn't need to happen the way it did, um, but it also needed to happen because I think all of us needed a break. We all needed to, to kind of go to our own spaces and for our own health, you know? Right. So the distillers stopped for a long time. You know, the distillers stopped. Brody had three kids, three beautiful children during that time. And I did Darker My Love with Tim. And uh, that became its, its own thing. Is that still going? Is Darker My Love still going? No, um, Darker My Love, so I was living in LA <clears throat> when Darker My Love started and um, ended up moving back to San Francisco and I got hit by a car. So like within the first year of Darker My Love, like I qu the distillers broke up, Darker My Love started touring, we started doing shit, I moved back to San Francisco and got hit by a car <laughs> and uh, broke both my arms. Oh uh, shit just trying to go to the ATMs to deposit a check on your bike or walking or I was on my bike and we lived on Jefferson. I mean, sorry, on uh, Frederick street. So trying to hit the Wells Fargo on hate, like hate and Stanion. And, uh, this fucking car just fucking ran the stop sign and just T-boned me. Whoa. Yeah. And when that happened, um, it was like right at the same time where darker my love got asked to be the falls, backing band for Marquis Smith in the fall. Uh -huh. Yeah. But I couldn't go. So, cause I had like these, I had two fucking broken arms. So those guys went and did the fall and they did two records with Mark and, uh, gone for a year. And, uh, I was just tired and, uh, hurt feelings kind of, um, to no one's fault. You know, I was just being sensitive and, yeah, you know, spending six years on tour, partying too much, and trying to do it again with a different band. I was, I also was tired, and I needed a break. I was trying to pretend like I didn't, you know. Yeah. But I, and I just one day, like in two thousand nine, told Tim, I was like, I can't do it, you know, I can't do it anymore. So oh. I quit playing drums. And I quit yeah. for. Um, I didn't play drums again for like six years. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So then I just started working. I worked for the sports basement. <laughs> sports basement? In yeah, SF? In San Francisco. Oh, shit. The one, it was like by Best Buy? Yeah, exactly. Okay, right. Oh, wow. 
Oh man, did uh, you guys friends still or no? Yeah, you and Tim. Okay, rad. Yeah. Um, and then you ended up moving to Santa Cruz, yeah? Yeah. So um, lived in the city, and then uh, during that time, I got married. Um, I got married in two thousand six, and uh, Jamie, Jamie's family. Jamie was born. My wife was born in Santa Cruz. But um, her dad was in the military, so she kind of grew up all over. Um, but her family uh, have roots in Santa Cruz, and um, they own – they had, like, a rental house in Capitola, and that's where we live. So yeah. they, and I came up for rent in, uh, like, 2010, and we're like, let's try that out, <laughs> you know? So moved Not to Santa a Cruz. bad spot. Pretty sweet, Yeah. Totally got lucky on that. And, you know, we wanted to have kids too. So Santa Cruz is a good place. We thought to raise a kid. And so um, and then we had Mylan, my daughter. Nice. Yeah. Me and Sally went and saw you guys. I forget where it was at. Oh, it was in Oakland, either the Fox or the Paramount. Fox? Yeah, Fox. Yeah. And uh, we sat right next to your mom. <laughs> and she was so rad she was like dude she's your biggest fan she knows the song she's like yelling at brody like it was so fun yeah my mom's always been really supportive you know uh -huh. and, uh you know would uh, would like loan me the car to play shows and you know carry my drums around and did what she could to help you know and i mean it was just her and i growing up you know and oh, my yeah. mom was a young mom too so a lot of a lot of our grown up was done together, you know? So, yeah. Well, Cheers. being from Northern California, my whole life, we love to um, talk shit on LA and SoCal. Is yeah. there anything in, in particular you can tell us that drove you back to Northern California from living down there? You know, it's a trip, man, because <laughs> remember when I always remember San Francisco was cool. Like, like it, it was as far as like the, like everybody in LA, they were posers. Like uh -huh. you know, they were just ripping off all the shit we were doing in San Francisco. That's yeah. the way I always felt as a kid. And um, now all those people, I feel like all those people who are doing cool shit in San Francisco, they all live in LA now. They moved. They all moved. Yeah. So it's funny because I could never make. I lived in LA like three or four different times during Distillers and Darker My Love. Just but I can never get it to take. It was always just like, never really worked out, you know? And now that all my friends live down there, I'm like kind of missing it. Oh, really? Yeah, and like the last, and since we started doing distillers again, um, which actually maybe is a testament to LA and it's fucking whackness, is that unless you're doing good, if you're not doing good in LA, you're, you're extra fucked. Uh -huh. But if you're successful, I think, at doing good in L.A., then it's the best place on earth. Uh -huh. everybody, everybody's in your corner, you know? So how does that go with – is the whole band in L.A. except for you? Uh, the bass player, Ryan, he lives in San Diego. Okay, but, like, how do you guys – how do you create new music or practice? Or, like, do you just have to go down there for a while? Yeah, when we did this last record, um, they would send me tapes – and I would, or like, you know, audio files online and oh yeah, uh, just like kind of did it all online through over the internet, you know, send files. And then I would go down there like every other weekend and play and we'd play like all weekend and 
just kind of get it together that way. Is is recording a big deal for you? Like, do you do you love recording or do you hate it? I used to kind of hate it. Now I kind of like appreciate all of it, you know, because like I used to take a lot of it for granted, like being in a band, playing shows, recording, like all the those things, you know. Yeah. Especially now that we can't fucking do it, um, I take it even more. It's more of a special thing. Yeah. Um, Last go around, like I really tried to be present and like pay attention to what was going on. And we recorded at the studio called sunset sound, um, which is someplace I recorded with darker my love in, in 2007, but it's one of the last analog studios in, in LA. And, um, it's like Led Zeppelin three was recorded there and like, oh, right. stones did like bigger banquet there. And, uh, fucking like all these records that everybody loves was done there, you know? Cool. Um, Prince recorded in the studio we recorded in. He like loved the studio so much that he tried to replicate it. And that's what Paisley Park studio is. It's basically the same layout as the studio that we did this record in. Right. So, yeah. Wow. Is did you, who was it a special like producer or anything? We worked with Nick Lanay and uh, he did uh grinder man, like a lot of Nick cave stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sick. Nick's great. Yeah. Oh, definitely a cool experience and then what's like the process of like you've done some videos right like some uh rock videos like do you get like a video director and they come to you with this idea or do you guys come up with the idea and try to find someone to do it um at the the first couple video it's kind of been a little mix of both uh we were with Sophie Mueller and she had an idea and that was like a real crazy like Hollywood experience on like a sound stage and at Warner Brothers Studios and like a hangar with like fucking you know like <laughs> like all this crazy stuff cameras and right you know, 60 foot tall screen and stuff like that and then um, we worked with this guy Dean Carr and that was also like a weird like downtown LA like experience um but then we've also done like some collage stuff that we've put together on our own and or like worked with a friend and that kind of thing um shooting videos is kind of weird you know yeah. uh, i don't know because it's not like authentic you know it's not like a skate yeah. video where you're like you're skating and you're like actually trying to land the shit you're you're doing yeah. you're in a it's like it's it's uh acting you yeah know? lip syncing so, and pretending yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I always wondered about that. Some of them are done pretty well, and then some of them are just really cheeseball or, like, lazy. Like, there's always the, the ones that are just kind of like the formula, like, oh, here's what we do. And but I always wonder about that. Did you Do you collect uh, vinyl at all? Do you have a collection of music? Yeah, totally. You have uh, a lot of records? Uh, I've sold a lot over the years. But yeah, kind of pared down to the keepers, you know. Uh, what's like, uh, what's your prized possession or like what are some of your things that they're, you're, you're holding on until the end? I just have some old records from, uh, just like from being younger that I would like listen to all the time. They're not like collector's items, I think, that like someone would, uh -huh. you know, not like this first pressing of this fucking seven inch or whatever. Yeah, um, but like I have some old like Jawbreaker records and some 15 records and stuff that 
listening to that I love because there were like things I'd listened to when I was a young kid or younger and like learning and just have moments with, you know, like there's just like where music kind of you get nostalgic about and then you get nostalgic about the record itself and like, um, you know, putting the record on and like looking at the liner notes and stuff like that. Mm. Those are the records that mean most to me, you know? Yeah. Fuck yeah. Not, I like, love the line. All that shit that comes with it is for the tangibles. Like it's so tight. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the, um, so my band that I have now is called seized up and uh, we're putting out a record with punks uh, pirates press. And so that's actually been really cool because they make all the vinyl from like for like everybody. Dude, Pirates Press, another connection. Pirates Press was three doors from my last place I lived at. Nice. It was on the corner of uh, 16th of Missouri. Yeah. <laughs> I was right there. <laughs> That's yeah. great. Yeah, those guys, uh, they hit us up at the mag a lot and stuff. Yeah. Oh, cool. <clears throat> and that's with uh, the guy from Blast? Yeah, it's Clifford from Blast and me and Chuck from Good Riddance and oh. our friend Danny B. All like Santa Cruz, yeah? Yeah, it's a trip. We all live in the same neighborhood. Ah, that's cool. Yeah. And you got a, do you have a studio or do you have a garage or? Yeah, we practice. There's a, a rehearsal studio in Santa Cruz called Santa Cruz Rehearsal. Okay. <laughs> We've just been going there. go-to for a nice night of dinner somewhere in that area uh santa cruz restaurants are weird kind of they're not that great there's a couple there's like bantam for pizza and shit on the west side um, we do a kira sushi oh akira is really good actually yeah. there's akira and that's the spot yeah for sure yeah that one's good all right i did a i did a website where we had the token drummer every time that you just every time i saw a band i would have the token drummer shot and it'd be a photo of the drummer who are some like give me a top three drummers out in the world that, that are, are still there yeah now yeah um well who's the best ever is it is it john bonham is it yeah. neil pert is it art blakey uh, oh art blakey's amazing yeah but for like a rock drummer i bought him dude john bonham like, right yeah okay tasty but drummers like in punk and rock or whatever that are playing now, I love and always love Jorma. Jorma Vic, who was the Bronx first um, drummer. Yeah. He's an Eagles of Death Metal. He's great. I love him. And he's a good friend. There was this band called the Icarus Line uh, from L.A. And they had this drummer named Captain. Um, his name was Jeff. And he was the fucking shit. He was so good and right. solid. 
And I loved, we, I was lucky enough to, to get to tour with him a couple times and just like watch him play. And it, he wasn't like real technical or anything like that, but he was fucking like badass. And just like some guys have it where it's like whatever they do when they like just lay the sticks down on the drums, like makes the drums sound amazing. Yeah. And he was one of those guys and um, just like, r- like a rare talent, you know? And uh, I don't think he plays anymore. He's not in any bands anymore, which is a shame. But he was like my favorite dude to play with and huh. uh, to, to watch, you know. Because you see like guys like Travis Barker, and Travis is like really good. Mm. But it's like it's also fast, and it's just – it's like a lot. It feels unattainable. Mm. But the thing with Jeff and the captain is you can watch him and be like, God, I could – I know I could play that, but I know I couldn't get it to sound like that. Right. You know? And that's fucking, that's the shit when you're a drummer that could do that. And then uh, number three would be uh, Dale Kroger. Melvin's? Yeah. What drums do you play? Uh, Ludwig. I was lucky enough to meet uh, Uli Salazar, who's the A&R dude for Ludwig now. Oh. And super supportive. And, uh, Sick. He's a fucking really awesome guy and gets the lineage and the heritage of Ludwig drums uh-huh. because of guys like Ringo and Bonham, who, play, who are like Ludwig guys. Yeah. But also looks at who's actually out there playing guys like me or, um, you know, other guys on the, like John Theodore and like these other drummers that are out there that are doing shit, you know? Right. Fuck. Dude, that's so sick. What, what's the most important, uh, symbol? Uh, hi-hat. Well, I mean, but like, uh, as a, like a ride or crash or like, uh, size wise. Oh, uh, size, size kind of, size doesn't matter. Right. No. <laughs> no, they, they all do different things. The size kind of makes the sound be a little bit different, you know. Okay. Just, uh, I I try to play like the biggest shit I could find because everybody's really loud, you know. But uh, you know, I don't know drums. I love drums. I can talk it's about uh, so sick. Yeah, it's just a hard thing like to um, find a place to play them. Uh yeah, I know. Tell me about it. Yeah, I know, and the thing like for me too is you know a big. I think that's kind of why I like drums because it was such a challenge too. And like you had to kind of grease like the kid whose parents had like the nice place in Hillsborough with like a fucking nice garage or something where you can go play. Right. And I, would, I was always like hitting kids up trying to be like, you know, let's carpet like, the garage. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know? Yeah. Um, and when I met Ken uh, from model American, like in high school, early, early on, you know, the thing 
that I loved about him the best was that he had a place to play. And it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't like drama. Like his parents, like um, they backed it, you know, they were cool with it and you could bring drums there and, and play. And, and that was the thing, you know? Is there a song that you like playing them? Like out of all the distillers set list, is there one that you're like, that you can unleash more or, or something or is it? Yeah. It's like sometimes the slower stuff, you know? Oh, uh, LA girl. I always like playing LA girl. Is this that song yeah and then what's the name uh do you guys have names or anything for the new stuff the new record the new distillers record uh-huh yeah but i don't know if i could tell you what it is yet oh okay it might change oh really well, and yeah. then and you don't even know when it's gonna come out really right now right i don't know yeah. um hopefully soon though i haven't talked to brody today they're supposed to go on and finish she has like like a couple just like the last like half a percent of shit to finish. And you know, sometimes that's like the hardest to do, you know? Right. Um, so. So you haven't heard it with vocals yet. Uh, most of it's done. Yeah. Oh, like ten oh, she of, was like, just doing like little accents and stuff. Totally. Yep. Okay. 10 of the 11 songs are done. So it's one song just got put like the finishing touches on one song and then should be good to go. Yeah. Can you give us a little bit of, uh, like what the writing style, is it going to be a breakup album or is it going to like, what, is there any theme or what do we got? I think, I think there's going to be some songs that do probably deal with emo the emotions around breaking up. Uh, I think there's some songs about uh, her love for her family, especially her kids. Yeah. And I think there's going to be some songs just about the experiences that she's had. Brody's pretty, uh, you know, I think that her writing style um, is pretty unique. She'll focus on stuff I think that is really close to her, but also juxtapose that with things that are kind of more um, more out there in, in the ether, you know, and uh, kind of try to connect the two, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that makes sense, but... Well, I'm a big fan. I love I love her voice. I love the energy you guys bring. And, uh, you know, if you guys are playing in the area, I usually try to go out and watch it. And uh, I think I did an interview with Brody. I, I was trying to find the magazine because it, it was a long time ago. But uh, for Thrasher, we did an interview. I think it might have been right around the same time as that transplant store, maybe. But I can't really remember. But uh, I did do one like maybe 15 years ago or something. You might have. Do you know, here's a fun fact. We were supposed to play Skater of the Year um, at when it was at uh, at the Great American. Oh. And um, we it was around the time, and it, 
of when the band kind of broke up. And um, Brody, we ended up like not being able to play like a couple days in advance of the show of the Skater of the Year. And then uh, I was able to get Eagles of Death Metal to do it instead. Oh, okay. That was uh, Danny Way. Yeah. I think they opened for Turbo Negro, actually. Yeah. It was supposed to be Turbo Negro and Distillers. Okay. Well, um, I've probably taken enough of your time. Uh, we like to end with a song. Uh, do you got a song? doesn't have to be one of yours. can be one of yours, but that we could uh, take it to the bridge with. Uh, what do you prefer? You want me to pick one of mine? or? I'm down. You have a B City of Angels. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like when that song came out on the uh, Tony Hawk uh, video game, what, how did you, like, how were you aware that it had affected, like, did you just start hearing it more on the radio too? Or like, how did you feel? You Like, we didn't have Instagram, so it wasn't like, dude, my numbers went up or whatever. Like, what happened? It was, we... Did you uh, sell more records? Yeah, well, it was kind of weird because it all happened pretty quick. And they got the placement for the video game and the record came out. And then we did this spot on like MTV where they came and interviewed us. Oh. And, um, and then it was like, it was like, boom. And then like Sing Sing Death House came out and uh, then we were just on tour, you know? Okay. And then our shows went from like, bottom of the hill size clubs, like four or 500 to like theaters. And then we're doing like 1600, 2000 capacity. Right. You know? Okay. Yeah. And it just kind of, kind of went on from there. And then like all the festival shows and stuff, we went from like side stage shit to then we're like main stage, you know, Sick. and um, just, yeah, it kind of just took off, you know, That's but the yeah, it, it all kind of happened around the same time. Okay. You know? Wow. Cool. So you guys are going to be in it for a little while or is this just a one and done? We have, um, I mean, we just, we're supposed to be on tour in Europe now, um, but it all got pushed to next year. So we just released dates for European tour. If we're doing festivals next year, um, starting end of June into July. So um, that's going to happen. The record will definitely be out by then. I could tell you that. Okay. And, um, uh, yeah, so has there been an, any talk of you playing like I've seen bands playing on Zoom or something like is, is that even a possibility with a, a band of your caliber? Like, would it just be they can't yeah. really hold your music? I think no, I think you could do it. I think we could do anything we want. We'll see maybe when when the record's finished and if shows aren't still happening, then yeah, we'll probably end up doing something like that. You know, right. it's not like the best, you know, like playing in like a, like it's like playing on TV, you know? Yeah. It's like acting again, you know, okay. where <laughs> no one's there and you got to kind of fake this, like I'm yeah. feeling this, you know, oh, this is, man. you know, you got to kind of have people there, you know, otherwise it's like, what are you doing? Right. Well, I'll end it with this. What is your mindset right now? How, how long are we going to be, are we going to get worse before we get better? What do we have to do? Like, is this all a whole political thing? Like what the fuck is going on in 2020? I think it's bleak, man. With Trump sending these 
these feds into our cities to counter protesting um, mm. is not it's not right. Yeah, Portland, Oregon's been getting crazy. Yeah, I think there's a lot of dangerous rhetoric going around. Um, Trump, you know, trying to uh, squash the USPS um, cronyism, you know putting his buddies as, as postmaster general, def, you know, taking money away, you know, when during a pandemic where it's, it's obvious that vote by mail is going to be the most effective way to vote. Right. The whole deal with Trump, he's got to go. And I know a lot of people are starting to express discontent with the democratic party and Biden, but I, I don't think you're going to change the game between now and November to where you could choose a third party like Kanye or some bullshit like that. It's not going to happen. It's far more dangerous to, to leave Trump in place than it is to get him out. Yeah. So in my opinion, it's like, I think everybody's got to do what they can to vote in November to vote Trump out of office. Couldn't agree more. You're not only voting Trump out and putting Biden in place, but you're also putting in place someone who's going to choose uh, the, the next Supreme court justice when Bader Ginsburg's gone. Everything that Trump has undone with all the environmental rights and acts, everything he's done to a lot of our civil liberties that that have gone away, the environmental shit that Trump has gone against, all that's gotta be turned around. Yeah. Four more years of Trump, it's not, it's gonna make it far worse and we're gonna get to a, I think it's gonna get to a place where we can't go back from. So. Yeah, it's a it's kind of a blanket statement, but the easiest way for me, I was talking to somebody and we're good friends, but we don't see eye to eye on some of this stuff. And I was like, I'm not saying Biden's the answer like he's not there. He has flaws, obviously, whatever. But my point was in our lifetime, we've never been in a worse predicament and you know, it's not coincidence, I don't think. I think there's a lot. Of, I mean, some of it is, but a lot of it's not. And let's try something else. Without getting into details or any of that shit, just let's try something else. This ain't working. It's not. That's it. It's not. It's not working. Uh, it never was. I, I mean, don't don't forget, Trump lost the popular vote as it is. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And... It's it was a corruption from Russia. Like there's a lots of, yeah. uh, there's yeah. lots of conspiracy theories around there. It's a dangerous time. I wish us all the best, dude. Straight up. I know. This country. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tricky. I mean, there's, it's easy to go down the rabbit hole of depression, but, uh, you know, I've been really working on trying to stay positive. And part of it is doing these podcasts is just like hooking up with people like yourself and just trying to share good vibes and just have a good, you know, outlook on everything. I think we're going to get through it. It's just going to be like something we're going to look back at and just be like, Jesus fucking Christ, that was gnarly. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. But thanks so much for taking the time out. I hope that you know, sooner than later, you guys are on the road and you're coming through San Francisco or wherever, and I'll get to come check it out. I can't wait to hear this new music too, for oh. sure. All so right. let me know when you're able to leak a little or something. I'd love to I hear will. it. I will. Uh, I for sure. And uh, one last thing too, um, the helmet and everything. You, you do a lot of uh, bike riding on your in your spare time, yeah? Yeah. 
dude, you got to send me some uh, trails or some like, uh, cause yeah. that's been helping my mind too, is like getting on the bike and just going for a ride. It's really a good way of social distancing healthy. Uh, you're, you're in San Francisco, right? Yeah. You ever go to the headlands? Yeah, I've done that like twice. I need to do it more. That one's awesome. You take that one dirt all the way to the beach. Yeah. It's just downhill bombing. It's super good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we have a cabin in Boulder Creek. So I want to f- explore Santa Cruz Mountains. Oh, yeah, dude. I'll send you all kinds of stuff for sure. Okay. Hell yeah. I was in Big Basin on Tuesday. No way. Um, yeah, there's tons of trails. Uh, okay. So, I mean, and that's like my favorite thing is to get away from the cars. Always, you know, you know, yeah. Uh, get away from the cars and just get out, uh, get out there and, and ride, you know, it's super fun. All right. Well, cheers, uh, city of angels. It is. <laughs> All Thanks right. man. Right. <clears throat> Take care. Okay. This is my daughter's favorite song.
Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews and a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow. All of the episodes will always remain free, but if you would like to help support the show, you can do so at TalkingSchmidt.com, where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes, with extra photos and videos. Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at TalkingSchmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmitty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa. This is Talking Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper.